This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, this is Richard Ingebretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Let's talk about uh, river rafting, kayaking, and let me tell you uh, a case and a very interesting story about a kayak helmet. We have to go back to the 1940s, though, and realize that in the days following World War II, river rafting and kayaking was really non-existent. An interesting event, though, happened after the war, and that was a lot of bridge pontoons that had been used in the war effort and a lot of assault uh, rafts that were used in the war effort were sold in army surplus stores. You could buy a, an assault raft for 10 or $15, and you could buy a huge bridge pontoon for about $18. Whitewater rafting and kayaking in the West was just about to begin. What happened was people were scared to go on rivers, and... With the addition of these big, huge bridge pontoons, which they used as rafts, people started to go down the big white water of the Colorado and Green Rivers of the West. This opened the door for river rafting, and uh, with the assault boats, uh, though heavy that they were and difficult to maneuver, people could get access to rivers. River rafting uh, really took off at that time. All the way through the 50s and 60s, these were the staples of river rafting. But soon, companies started to to develop the new material called Hypalon, which made river rafts very light, and it was also very affordable. So up into the 60s and 70s, river rafting and kayaking took off. In the 1980s, it was just uh, uh, grew by exponential bounds, and until the 1990s, uh, millions and millions of people were uh, river rafting and kayaking. Safety was an interesting issue, though. Uh, Early on, the life jackets that were worn were also left over from World War II. People would grab anything that they could to put around them to float. Some people didn't put on life jackets. The uh, earliest life jackets were also military that would inflate by blowing them up, and they weren't very sturdy. And then people started making all uh, all sorts of things as, as life jackets. The big ones that came out in the 70s uh, were uh, kind of puffy in the front and tied around the back. And uh, the problem is, is that they would come untied and were unsafe. And the 70s saw the advent of clips holding life jackets together. They had more flotation, but the clips would then uh, clip onto ropes and things, and people were getting stuck. Finally, in the 80s and the 90s, life jackets really made a strong uh, entrance and very safe life jackets. Uh, one problem, though, were the helmets. A lot of river rafters in the west didn't like to wear helmets because the waters were muddy and slow without rocks. We went north, they did, but they just didn't tend to wear helmets. As kayakers became more prevalent on the scene, uh, they would wear the helmets. And helmets were really just uh, basically something that you would have uh, like on a bike or there was no standard or safety to them. And for just a few dollars, you could buy something that you could put on your head and call it a helmet and hope that it, that it helped you uh, if you fell over and hit your head. In the East Coast Rapids, they did a lot more uh, with helmets, but in the West, it didn't come into vogue until the 90s, and even then, there was no industry standard for them. If you look at river rafting in general, though, the rivers that 
that are in really wonderful to run uh, have to be in the state of Idaho and uh, the United States. There are a lot of good rapids back east in the mountains and in the California mountains and up in Oregon and Washington, but the people in Idaho would argue that the, the mountains of Idaho produce the best rivers. And if it's hard to argue against that. Uh, the Bruno down by Boise, uh, and then you move uh, up by the Payette and going north to the you know, Snake River, the very famous Salmon River, the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the North Fork of the Salmon, and then you get into the, to the St. Joe and the very rough water uh, of the Loxaw River uh, uh, coming uh, out of Montana. Just wonderful river trips. One river that was always a great uh, challenge is the North Fork of the Payette River, uh, which is a absolutely gorgeous river, comes out of the mountains and curves north and joins the Salmon River finally. But the North Fork is a challenge for anybody, even the best river rafters and the best kayakers. It was a huge draw uh, for people to challenge its uh, very technical and exciting rapids. One uh, day in 1998, uh, in July, uh, six kayakers uh, decided to go and run the North Fork of the Payette. The, the North Fork of the Payette, had, the river uh, runs right next to a road, so you can pick a lot of times the rapids that you want to uh, go and find and uh, challenge them. Uh, these kayakers were mostly from Utah. Four had not run uh, the river uh, up there before, uh, and uh, the other two had some experience. They chose as the uh, place to go run uh, a rapid called Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder Rapid was uh, particularly challenging because of all the rocks, but rocks are what make river running uh, fun, but they're also what make river running dangerous because you can fall, hit them, get caught behind them, and, of course, you can hit your head. But if you have a good helmet on, the idea is that it uh, will protect you. Uh, hopefully uh, that that is the case. So on this day in July, the, the six kids... Uh, boarded their kayaks and ran, ran Jacob Ladder Rapid. One of them was Lucas Turner, a Salt Lake young man who uh, was 22 at the time and worked for the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance uh, that preserves lands in southern Utah. And he was a, a great kayaker and a great lover of nature and a great lover of the land and just beloved by uh, all of his friends that went up there. He was one of the ones that had, had most experience on the river. At one point uh, during the rapid, he got... Uh, went into a, what was called a hole, that is where the water goes over a rock, and uh, the people that were with him saw him, uh, his kayak go straight up in the air and go over backwards, and that, that is what they call an endo, meaning end over end. Well, they watched him closely and uh, thought that they saw him swimming afterwards. They weren't sure. Uh, they went uh, back to the car, went downstream, and uh, ultimately found uh, his body on the right side of the river, they went down to it and began uh, CPR. Uh, his helmet had slipped back over his head, and he had hit his head in the right front forehead, and they believed that that had either knocked him out or it injured him quite severely. Sadly, the CPR efforts on Lucas Turner failed, and this uh, very bright and talented young man was killed in July 1998 on a river that was running at medium flows, uh, in uh, Idaho. There probably is no worse phone call that a human being can get than Gil Turner received that day that his son Lucas had been killed on a river trip. The uh, unimaginable had happened. Gil Turner grieved like no other father 
uh, at the loss of his uh, son. Emotions of that time are high. Sadness is just powerful and overwhelming. And Gil Turner had choices to make over the next months in his life. He turned uh, his grief and his loss into a battle. It was felt that, uh, that uh, Lucas Turner had died of a head wound. Although the official cause of death was listed as a long swim, which was not correct. Lucas Turner had hit his head. Even though he had had a helmet on, the helmet, when it hit the water, pushed back with, a, with an unfavorable design, and he had hit his head. It's a curious fact about helmets. If you're wearing a bike helmet and fall, when you fall, your head hits the ground with the helmet on. With a river rafting or kayak helmet, when you tip over, the helmet hits the water first. And that water can force the helmet back off the top of the head to the back of the head, exposing uh, the front of the head and the face as you uh, move downstream. And this is what had happened to Lucas Turner. It was a new helmet that had just pushed back, exposing his head where he then was hit. And if the blow didn't kill him, he was certainly knocked unconscious and breathed in water and drowned. He was taken to the local hospital where uh, he had been pronounced dead. Gil Turner, realizing this and realizing that his son had not died of a long swim, took the challenge to create a better whitewater helmet. The challenge was incredibly difficult uh, to get someone's interest and to uh, raise the capital and the energy to do this was difficult, but the memory of his son uh, uh, pushed him forward. Ultimately, he uh, contacted the uh, John Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health. Here they have engineers that took the challenge on. And the challenge to make a white water helmet that is safe is a challenge. The materials are available and uh, the, the know-how is there, but to how to make it work so that a kayak helmet won't come off somebody's head when the helmet first hits the water. In the case of uh, this helmet, it had just literally was... Uh, something stuck on the top of Lucas's head. There really were no standards, and there was really no design that was safe. The Bloomberg people took it on, though, with a great challenge, but had to do it. So to uh, clamp it on the top of the head, they had to come up with a series of uh, straps and uh, um, devices that would really just secure it on very, very well. Uh, two, two straps came around the ear, uh, securing very tightly around the front of the head. And then at the back of the head, a little uh, piece of plastic would come down and clamp onto the back of the head. They tried and tried again on various designs and finally came up with one that they thought they would work. In order to make it work and to test it then, they placed it on uh, a dummy's head that was strapped to a post. They put it on securely and then they took a fire hose and they figured if that would uh, uh, not, if it would not come off with a fire hose, then it would stay on. And that's what they did. A fire hose was applied in all different directions. And even though it was with such force of water coming out, the helmet stayed on. They had done it. They had created a brand new uh, helmet. 
It was really quite amazing. The Whitewater Research and Safety Institute had done it. Along with the people back at the Bloomberg School, they had created what they considered a safe whitewater helmet that would not come off when it first hit the water. Well, this was absolutely great news. I actually had heard about the story and had met Gil Turner after his son had died and had talked to him about it. And actually, had kind of lost track of the story after about seven years had passed since Lucas had died. And then one day in the mail, I received a package. And I thought, my gosh, what is this? I had not ordered anything. I opened it up, and here was a whitewater helmet. It was uh, uh, red in color, very nice. And I thought, my gosh, what is this? And then I thought, I wonder if this was Gil Turner's. And I was looking at it. And I noticed all the new straps on it. I noticed the plastic that would pull down on the back. And as I turned it over to look up on the inside, on the brim that would stick over the forehead, there I saw it. A little tiny embossed name that said, Lucas Turner. A little chill went down my spine. And I thought, my gosh, Gil has done this. He has created a safe whitewater helmet. I stared and I thought, and I went to online and, and read about the whole story about where he had gone and what he had done to create this helmet. He did it. And now this particular brand of whitewater helmet is, has become the industry standard. There is absolutely no way of knowing whether this helmet has saved a life or not and how many it has saved. But there is no question that this is a safe whitewater helmet. And have people fallen into the water and a turn over in a kayak, the river current will no longer push the helmet off the back of the head. He did it. Out of the death and the tragic death of his son came a new advancement in safety on the river. This ends this podcast on this an amazing story of the creation of a safe whitewater helmet. Thank you for listening.